0: You've tuned in to the Message to King's podcast, where we tell the complete history. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Brett Heaston. I would have welcomed any visitors to the podcast who heard the Podlight segment from Zach Twomley's podcast, When Diplomacy Fails. Zach's an amazing guy. I've listened to all of his podcasts, and when I was setting up this podcast, I patterned more of this podcast than I realized from his format. I enjoy the way he incorporates sound effects and the personalization of the podcast and the use of social media. I contacted Zach about a month back and asked him about microphones and podcast questions. He was more than eager to help me and told me he would plug this podcast without me asking. I couldn't believe it. So, for those who downloaded this podcast because of Zach's plug, welcome. I hope it's up to the high standard that he has set. So, if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, There's an outrageously cool Irishman with an awesome accent who puts together a weekly or so podcast on wars and history from the failed diplomatic perspective. Just as I'm trying to tell a spiritual history, Zach Twomley has a very unique and one-of-a-kind podcast telling diplomatic history, and he is a Christian as well. And another side note, if you like European history, this is one of his specialties, and he's become sort of a specialist on everything World War I. So to all my friends out there, check out Zach Twomley's When Diplomacy Fails podcast. In addition, Zach and his friends have added this podcast to the list of podcasts on the History Podcast Facebook page. So feel free to join this group, check it out on Facebook, and look at all the podcasts out there. So it's a list of other history podcasts as well, and they have group discussions, and they keep everyone up to date on the news related to history podcasting. Alright, so back to the regularly scheduled program. Episode 13, 1500 BC, The Descendants of Ham. I just watched Iron Man 3 recently the movie begins with this quote we create our own demons this rattled me what a deep quote from a marvel comic movie seriously we create our own demons that's deep so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today this will be a walk on the dark side kind of like when you watch a superhero movie and they detour to show the development or the um, creation of the villains And for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to reword Iron Man's statement. Our sin invites demons. So after the flood, there was an ignoble event that taints Noah's seemingly pure and righteous life. After the flood, there is a particular scene within the family, and a particular curse which sets the future planet and civilizations of the earth towards conflict. Noah had three sons, Japheth, Shem, and Ham. Shem receives a family blessing because Abraham comes from his line. The patriarchs follow. Eventually David and even Jesus follow in that, that family line. Japheth appears to be a righteous man as well. But Ham is another story. Call him the black sheep of the brothers. And this is easy to say because so many bad things come from him and his family line. Here's the event that shapes the family and future civilizations. Genesis 9 and Noah was a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank the wine, and was drunk, and he lay uncovered naked within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Alright, so what's going on here? I looked up the actual Hebrew, and it reads, Ham looked upon his naked father. So that's not really good enough, really, not good enough. You wouldn't curse your own son or grandson if you walked into a tent and they were seen naked, even if it was only symbolic. I cannot believe that he looked at him naked and received such a curse from a righteous man. For this reason, I searched for commentaries and Bible teachers' opinions on this scene. And one of the conclusions by some well-known Bible teachers is that Ham committed a homosexual act against his father when he was in his tent, drunk, and passed out. The key here was the context of the working of the Hebrew. In shame, the other brothers cover up the father. And when Noah awakes, hungover, abused, he curses Canaan, son of Ham. There's other Jewish traditions. One of them is that Canaan was the illicit son of Ham and Noah's wife. And when Ham saw his father in the weakened state, drunken in his tent, He castrated him to prevent a further dilution of his inheritance. This one seems pretty far-fetched. But then again, why did he curse Canaan instead of Ham? In addition, there's no record of Noah having further children. Noah basically cursed his grandson's family line into slavery and servanthood. He didn't curse Ham, but he cursed his son Canaan. The spiritual concept at work here is spiritual curses. When we get to Canaan and his descendants, it will be easy to see this curse at work. His sons and their nations will be the future enemies of Israel. Curses are the opposite of blessings. Call it demonic, not angelic attraction. Call it a magnet for demons and trouble. Remember Iron Man? Our sin attracts demons. If you step back... And remember, this entire story is good versus evil, and every stronghold and principality was eradicated in the flood. In fact, the remains of the lost demonic civilizations are deep within our soul as a consequence of the flood. Good versus evil. In order to see the working of this curse, we have to step back and look differently at the situation. The devil's a roaring lion, and he's searching for his next prey and he's combing Noah's family line searching for weaknesses after the flood. He must have already seen it in Ham's lifestyle and attitude, but when the curse came upon his son Canaan, we have to believe he found the open door. Did the devil enter Canaan at that moment like he did Judas? Maybe. What the devil did find was a family to inhabit and to become the demonic power brokers on the planet. The devil would build his new principalities on Ham and Canaan's family lines and future nations and their cities. Being the last episode on the three brothers and sons of Noah, I chewed on the concept of these three brothers. And I asked myself, what was the significance of these three brothers? Or what are a few of the types and shadows of these three brothers? And types and shadows that we, remember, we addressed that in the Isaac episode. There's a lot of symbolism at work here, and I'll touch on just a couple of the types and shadows. Um, Each of the brothers could represent either our spirit, soul, or body. The spiritual side references Shem, where the soul references Japheth, and the body would be sinful Ham. Interesting, but uh, very general as well, but pretty profound if you look at the regions they colonize. Another type and shadow would be, um, also in the King James Bible, there's only three angels with names two good Gabriel the messenger and Michael the warrior and one bad Lucifer the lead worshiper who falls and becomes the devil two good and one fallen this is just like the brothers three angelic brothers and three earthly brothers two good one fallen the fallen one leads his family and peoples astray I like types and shadows and mysteries There are clues to our Creator's outrageous attention to detail and sovereignty. Everything points to a greater reality. He wrote the beginning from the end, and the end from the beginning. Alright, so let's talk about Ham, and then we'll get back to Canaan. Ham was one of the sons of Noah, who moved southwest into Africa, and parts of the adjoining areas of Asia, and was the forefather of the nations there. The Bible refers to Egypt as the land of Ham four times. After the flood, the the world disobeys and ends up at Babylon, and the entire Babel episode occurs, which is led by one of the the descendants of Ham, Nimrod. After the scattering from Babel, there's a particular episode I discovered. First of all, the brothers knew where to go. Japheth to the west, Shem to the east, and Ham to the south in the direction of Africa. Ham had four sons, Cush, Mizraim, Put and Canaan. Nimrod was the son of Cush. Nimrod, of course, was a world conqueror from the Tower of Babel episode. Mizraim was the father of seven sons, and one of these sons was the father of the Cushelites, who would become the Philistines. The Philistines will be the age-old enemies of Israel. Now, Canaan was the fourth born, and here is the genealogy of Canaan. Now check this out. Nearly all of these future nations will be repeated in the Bible. Canaan was the father of Sidon, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Gigashites, Hivites, Archites, Anites, Arvadites, Zamorites, and Hamathites. The Jebusites take over the future region of Jerusalem and build a fortress. The Amorites seize most of the land of Israel, the Hittites form a military empire in Turkey and Syria, and from the line of Sidon comes Queen Jezebel, one of the most wicked women to ever walk the planet. All of these tribes of Canaan and nations spread out and colonize modern Israel and build principalities and cities by the time of Abraham's arrival and his prophetic words. Now here's an interesting story from Jewish tradition. It's from the Book of Jubilees. It's an ancient Jewish book, which was part of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovery in 1947. I truly think its reflection of Canaan is very insightful. The quote is from the Book of Jubilees, chapter 10. Canaan was supposed to advance from Babel to his appointed lands in Africa, leaving it for another tribe. Instead, when Ham, his father, and Cush and Mizraim saw what he was doing, This was their response. Book of Jubilees, chapter 10. You have settled in a land not your own, which did not fall to you by lot. If you settle here, your sons will fall in this land, be cursed for rebellion. For by rebellion you have settled, by rebellion will your children fall, and you shall be rooted out forever. Dwell not in the dwelling of Shem, for Shem and to his sons did it come by their lot. Cursed shall you be beyond all the sons of Noah. For we bound ourselves by an oath in the presence of the Holy Judge, and in the presence of our father Noah. Yet he did not listen to them, and he and his sons until this day continued in the land. And for this reason the land is named Canaan. Isn't this interesting? According to this, Canaan was supposed to colonize another area. But instead he took part of Shem's land. The same land was to be Abraham's eventual inheritance. Interesting. No wonder Abraham found it hard to understand why he was promised land that was not even his in the natural. But in the spiritual, it was already given to him. So this is where it gets interesting. What would you do now if you hardened your heart like Canaan did? There's no giving up the land. Alright, so what now? You know it's cursed, and it would be uprooted, and the curse from your brothers is that you would be rooted out of the land. But Canaan's heart was hard, and his heart was evil, and he liked the land that he had, and he wasn't going to give it up. So he would build castles and fortifications. He would recruit superhuman soldiers and armies, and that's exactly what he did. One of the largest and most fortified cities in the world came up in the location of Jericho, which had walls 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. A city in the location of future Jerusalem was fortified with high walls on its ridges. It was considered impregnable at at its time. Each city seemed to have its own army, and all of a sudden giants appear again in human history. How did this happen? We can only assume it is a replay of the pre-flood fallen angelic activity. The result is the Nephilim, a fallen half-angel, half-man race of beings, show up again in our storyline. If you're into alternate history, here's one for you. What if Canaan obeyed his brothers and father and went into Africa and founded Carthage a thousand years earlier, or say an empire in southern Africa with its gold and diamond resources. With his heart of darkness and industrial skill sets, he would have forged a mighty developing empire very early in human history, which would show up aggressively on Israel's doorstep at the time of David, with an army bigger than the world had ever seen, and with a long list of conquest and the resources of an entirely developed continent. Africa. Cool ideas, but let's get back to the podcast. When we get back to Canaan, after Moses leads the Hebrews out of Egypt, Joshua must lead them in a military conquest. There's been a 400 plus year time frame between Abraham and the conquest of the land, and the descendants of Canaan have laid a minefield, and there's been a military buildup leading up to this clash of arms. It will be one of the largest angelic battles that we witness in the Scripture, with the descendants of Canaan refusing to release what was not allotted to them. And we will cover this in full when we get to Joshua. So it's fascinating. The more I study the Bible, the more gritty and real it seems. There always seems to be an ounce of truth to every conspiracy theory. And regarding the gritty, it seems even more violent for any military history fan than I even realized. Note here, if you feel like you're listening to a blog post on conspiracy theories, I kind of feel like I'm putting a podcast together on right now. Seriously, we're talking about dark shadow governments and setups, and the talk of conspiracy stuff. You know, we're talking about gigantic principalities, devil worshippers, child sacrificers, the return of giants, fortifications... And we may even possibly talk about early genetically modified food. And the more I study, the more I feel like I'm really getting in some grimy details that are actually quite disgusting. Uh, But we'll go through Moses first. But when Joshua invades the land, we'll talk more of all this. Also, there's the age-old question. Why would God order the death of men and women and children when Joshua invades the land? We'll, talk, we'll tackle this question head-on, since there's so much more to it than God breaking his character of mercy. He's a God of righteousness and justice as well, but we'll talk about this later too. Back to the world at the date of 1500 BC. Let's talk about the nations of the Hittites, Canaanites, the Egyptians, and we'll touch on the Ethiopians. From the second son of Canaan came forth the Hittites. In the region of modern-day Turkey, the Hittites grew into prominence. The empire was set up in the 18th century BC, and it hit its height 400 years later with King Suppiluliuma I, who expanded the borders into Mesopotamia and modern Syria. Here's that famous 400 years again. The Hittites rose to prominence in 400 years, but by 1180 BC, the empire collapsed during the Bronze Age collapse. The Hittites were famous for their use of chariots, and there has been some evidence of early iron working with this civilization. In addition, they have preserved much of their histories on tablets compiled in archives. These histories detail their wars and civilization for a significant time period. Some of these archives have been discovered and are organized and stored at the Museum of Anatolian Civilizations in Ankara, Turkey. So north of Canaan was the empire of the Hittites. In the location of Canaan was a collection of smaller kingdoms on mountaintop fortifications. According to Egyptian documents, they were referred to as city-states early city-states. The area of Canaan was not unified and lacked central governments while the borders were fluid as regions expanded and shrunk due to conflicts. and At the time of Joshua's invasion into Canaan we'll see at least ten different kingdoms in the location of Canaan. In addition, the Hyksos and other Semitic tribes added to the lack of stability in this land as they passed through. Despite the lack of unity, there was giants and people skilled in warfare when the Israelites showed up with a nation of three million people on their back doorstep. The fear of complete annihilation actually compelled these city-states to unify to attack the Israelites. After the Israelite invasion, the Canaanites fight, while many are pushed back to the Mediterranean, where we'll eventually see the rise of the Phoenician culture. South of Canaan, onto the african continent was the land of egypt most of egypt is dominated by the fabled nile river its famed religious system led by a pharaoh and a very very distinct national identity due to its great natural geography and naturally defensible location egypt was able to enjoy great periods of peace and we all know the exorbitant wealth which flowed into the direction of egypt due to pharaoh pharaoh's dreams, and Joseph's interpretation. There's a terrific amount of detail into pharaohs of Egypt and the ruling classes and the prosperity of the nation. I'll try to highlight a few aspects of this culture to set the stage for 1500 BC. The topic of Egypt could be covered in a series of hundreds of podcasts, for there's so much documented detail to discuss. Egyptologists have established an organization of kingdoms to categorize a list of pharaohs or rulers of Egypt. Each of them has a good separation. The older kingdom rules until about 2040 BC when a middle kingdom, which had at its height Pharaoh Amenhotep III, soon after, Hyksos invaders arrived and took over Egypt. These were Semitic people from the east who took over Egypt and took power from Pharaoh. Julie referenced this in the Joseph podcast. Then the Hyksos were removed from power. So you can imagine this time of instability. Here are the Hebrews, the descendants of Joseph, multiplying and living in the land of Goshen on the northeast bank of the Nile. They were witnessing all this upheaval. The Hyksos arrive and are overthrown. And like in the case of all civil wars, large people groups typically get stuck in the middle and have to choose a side. The losing side is typically punished. Did this happen to the Hebrews? We don't know for sure, but the Bible does state that a pharaoh that knows not Joseph came to power. Thus the persecution of the Hebrews and eventual enslavement begins. At the time of 1500 BC, Egypt was a world superpower with their armies and wealth and massively respected culture. The Egyptians are obviously known for their pyramids and sacred belief system. And we have to understand this is a civilization set up by the descendants of Ham. Ham himself possibly may have been the first pharaoh. This civilization had a head start on setting up its demonic principalities. A study of the original Babylonian religion system would actually show a parallel to the Egyptian religion system with different names and adjusted mythologies for cultural purposes. Josephus has an interesting note on the pyramids and I'll talk about it later, but most believe they were built by the Egyptians themselves at an early date. But if the dates are wrong, all the currency in the world at the time of Joseph could have helped, or the massive slave labor force that was the Hebrews later could have assisted with the pyramids as well. On to Ethiopia and Sudan. The land was most likely colonized by Kush. Later, Ethiopia will be one of the first Christian countries in the world, and Sudan could boast of conquering Egypt many, many, many years after 1500 BC. There is Egyptian support of trading settlements in cities south of Egypt. There are Egyptian documents from Queen Hesep's reign, which document a city and port reputed to be a trading post of butumen, copper, amulets, and other goods like gold very south to the edge of the Red Sea. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I'd like to appeal to your understanding and history and talk about Iron Man again. If you are human, you can understand the family of Ham. All men and women have fallen short of the glory of God. No one of us can say we have never sinned or missed the mark with God. All of us can relate to some form of this story, where it was in this lifetime, or generations before, someone in your family has done something terrible, attracting trouble, frustration, and curses. Our sin has attracted demons. But it says in Galatians that Jesus became the curse to break the curse. Millions suffer from curses of infirmity, addiction, witchcraft, poverty, fear, anxiety, shame, and the list goes on and on. These curses are spiritual and they control you. The good thing is Jesus has already paid the price. All you have to do is ask him to deliver you from these curses. There was a man from the court of the Ethiopians, from the line of Ham, a eunuch, a man castrated from an early age to serve in the court of his master. He was dispatched to Jerusalem around 45 AD for a governmental errand as described in Acts chapter 8 the the Ethiopian was reading the Bible at the time in fact it was a scroll and he was reading from the book of Isaiah and at this moment a Christian by the name of Philip ran up to him and asked him what he was reading and he showed him and Philip explained to him the mystery of Jesus Christ and how he took away the sins of the world and he could be saved and be baptized At that moment, the official said, Here is water. Why can I not be baptized right here? And that is what happened. If there was a man who could have been bitter, it would have been this eunuch from Ethiopia, from the line of Ham. But he was humble and not proud, and he wanted and desired truth. Once he received it, he accepted Jesus Christ as the answer to the world's problems and his problems. And according to some Ethiopian histories, he brought the news to Ethiopia of Jesus, and it became one of the first Christian nations soon after. Whatever you have done, whatever your family has done, or those who came before you, Jesus has paid the price, and all can be restored. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. If you like the podcast, please check out the Facebook page, leave a comment. Or if you want to chat or talk, just email me at kings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.